Also, I will reiterate what Joan said, the feedback form, it's really important that folks fill that out. It's helping us determine the future of the congregation and your opinion matters. When you want to know what a minister is made of, consult the members of the congregation. They often know more than we ministers like to think they know. This sermon begins with and contains the memories of members of the only church Martin Luther King Jr. served as pastor. From the files of Deacon Robert D. Nesbitt Sr. In 1953, I was the clerk of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama and chair of the pulpit committee Talking to a business associate in Atlanta, Mr. W.C. Peden, I said, Dexter is looking for a pastor. W.C. said, Bob, I have just the man for you. Who is he? I inquired. Mike King. Who is Mike King? I asked casually. I had never heard the name. He's a fine young fellow. His daddy is pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. Get him on the phone, I urged. Get him on the phone. More than an urge, this casual phone call would eventually produce a moral compass that even today surges through the blood of anybody with a conscience, of anybody who took up the cross and followed him of any Klansman who ever donned a white sheet, of any non-active bystander who preferred the sound bites of television to the streets of Tempest, of any child like myself that cried when Mike King was crucified at a motel in Memphis. It was a casual urge that once again brought the presence of the holy in the form of a prophet, into the everydayness of human existence. Once again, when the words and deeds of the prophet plunge to the very core of our existence and expose us for who and what we really are, we come to doubt his divinity, declare him guilty of indecent exposure, and condemn him to death. Get him on the phone. Nail him to a cross. How often do these two phrases come out of one mouth? How often do we turn on those who dare to hold up a mirror to our souls and reveal the failings we have buried from public view? The prophets, be they Moses or Muhammad, Jesus or Jeremiah, Oscar Romero or Malcolm X, Queen Esther or Mike King, the prophets act on faith, but their fate is always in the hands of the people. And we all know that bloodstains don't wash off so easily. From the files of Deacon Zelia Evans. I came to Alabama State College to teach and joined Dexter Avenue Baptist Church after arriving in Montgomery. The first time I heard Reverend King speak, I said to myself after the message, my, my, what a speaker. Reverend King was involved in all phases of church life. 
I recall presiding at a meeting that the pastor attended. He shared in the discussion of the agenda items, enjoyed the delicious repast, and engaged in informal discussions. Later that evening, we played a game of musical chairs. Reverend King, like everyone else, was racing around seeking a chair before the music stopped. His presence and participation brought delight to the meeting. He took the greatest pastoral interest in the Dexter flock. This interest continued even after Reverend King's fame spread. A consoling visit to my hospital room was inspiring. He was scheduled to speak out of town. I was impressed, yet concerned, about his seeming non-recognition of the time, especially since he had scheduled a flight. You need to go to the airport, I said. You cannot miss your flight. There are people waiting to hear what you have to say. I won't miss my flight. I had to stop by to see you. We talked a little longer. Reverend King prayed with and for me and then departed. I had to stop by to see you. This phrase embodies the soul of King's calling and emotes his passion for the pastor as one who exhibits a non-anxious presence. Not as quotable as I have a dream or how long, not long. No, it is not as quotable, but every bit as powerful, especially if you were the one lying on that hospital bed. You cannot move mountains if you don't make time for people. In the quiet recesses of my heart, King often said, I am fundamentally a clergyman, a Baptist preacher. Yet his time in the parish was cut short, not by death, but by demand, the demand of black people to be led out of the wilderness of American racism and the demand of white liberals to keep a lid on the pressure cooker of prejudice. King lived his life out of W.E.B. Du Bois' theory of black double consciousness. He yearned to be fully black and fully American. He did so by serving as pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church from 1954 to 1960, a mere six years of his life. It was the only church he ever served. It was in this arena and not in great halls with arena seating that King sought to minister. You could find him weekly at the corner barber shop, cutting up with members of Dexter. He was also a regular at the neighborhood pool hall, the bearer of light and clarity in a dark room full of smoke and mirrors. He walked the campus of Alabama State College where he engaged students as colleagues, not learners. As his congregation grew and grow it did, he subdivided its members into month clubs, small groups into which you were automatically enrolled based on the date of your birthday, 
lest intimacy give way to the emptiness of being able to slip through the cracks. Reverend King, brother preacher, that's what they called him down on Dexter Avenue. He was no king of kings, no, not yet. Nothing else he accomplished in his life compared to the joy of walking the beat and pounding the pulpit in an insignificant city in the deep south. Today, a ghostly voice still echoes, I had to stop by to see you. From the files of Mr. Clarence Bozeman. I was a student at Alabama State College. Dean Wesley informed me that the Reverend Martin King had asked him to identify a student to drive the station wagon for Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. Go to Reverend King's home on Jackson Street, and he'll give you the particulars. I rang the bell, and he opened the door. I explained my presence and was invited inside. Reverend King began his interview. Do you have a driver's license? Yes, sir, I replied. Do you have a clean record? Yes, sir, I do. Are you bondable? Yes, sir, I am. It was though I was applying for a high position in a distinguished firm or organization. On the other hand, I was doing just that. The church is a prestigious organization. No doubt about it, the movement was becoming bigger than the man. Even though the preacher king was in the Dexter pulpit now only once a month by mutual agreement between congregation and minister, he still wanted to ensure that his own beloved community could shop for bread and make it to the communion table. With the bus boycott in full gear in Montgomery, the movement purchased station wagons to get supporters from here. The money for these chariots of hope came mostly from the honorariums from King's speaking engagements, not a penny of which went into his own pockets. Give it to the movement, referring to the money, is another one of King's constant phrases that is rarely remembered. This pastor was a reluctant prophet. He characterized the later calling as, quote, a vocation of agony. Had it only been the people who were calling, King would have listened attentively and then declined appreciatively. Had it only been community leaders who were calling, King would have probably formed a committee. Had it even been the president of the United States who was calling, King would have likely joined a commission. But oh, oh, when the spirit of life came calling, that unmistakable, undeniable, irreversible, still small voice of the heart, when the spirit came calling, King had to capitulate. You know, even today, it doesn't pay to ignore that still, small voice within. You cannot hide under a rock from the rock's spirit. 
the rocks themselves will cry out in the presence of the divine and give you up like nobody's business. If that voice is calling you, don't try to hesitate or negotiate. Just do what it tells you to do. Even if you don't believe in the divinity of the voice within, go ahead and heed its message anyway. Don't try to define the undefinable or reason with the unreasonable. You are just wasting your time. For in the end, it does not matter one whit if it was a supreme being calling you or human goodness compelling you. What matters in the end is how you respond. Martin Luther King, now pastor turned prophet, turns up the heat and thereby afflicts the comfortable when he proclaims, oh, there will be a day. The question won't be how many awards did you get in life? Not that day. It won't be how popular you were in your social setting. That won't be the question that day. It will not ask how many degrees you've been able to get. The question that day will not be concerned with whether you are a PhD or a no D. Will not be whether you went to Morehouse or no house. On that day, the question will be, what did you do for others? How do you answer a calling? Never with words, only with service. From the files of Deacon William B. Gray. When Reverend King was called to be the pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, I continued to attend. His sermons were comparable to those heard in a regular Baptist church on Sunday mornings. I had one major frustration during the period of the movement. My irritation centered around the crowd that came to Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. The church would be filled to capacity. There was standing room only. In light of the irritation with the crowd situation, I welcomed Reverend King's departure. Soon after, one could enter the sanctuary and find a seat anytime. The need to arrive early for worship in order to get a seat was over. Oh, there is one in every crowd, one in every church, many in every movement that has made a difference in the world. They support the liberal cause but want to conserve their seat in the sanctuary. They affirm the inherent worth and dignity of every person as long as everybody doesn't wind up worshiping in their church. They know the clock is ticking and sense the urgency of building a world based on sound principles and purposes. Just don't build it in my backyard. We need to take care of ourselves first, they determine before we reach out to others. They don't belong here, they whisper in huddled arrogance. You might be uh, more comfortable somewhere else, they complain out loud to the nonconformist. 
They woefully put down our cherished values of freedom, reason, and tolerance, and cheerfully expect everyone else to put up with them. When in a church, acceptance becomes mere tolerance, and then tolerance yields to exclusivity, trust me, you can always find a seat on the aisle or just about anywhere else. Abraham Joshua Heschel has written, The world is a proud place, full of beauty, but the prophets are scandalized and rave as if the whole world were a slum. King often preached on the necessity of being maladjusted to the evils of exclusivity and discrimination. It's a notion he probably picked up from Heschel, who taught that the prophets in Israel were, quote, morally maladjusted to society's conventional lies. Like the Jewish prophet Amos, the prophet King warned against substituting eloquent sermons, glad outpourings, the beauty of your anthems, and your long prayers for genuine acts of justice. As the prophet king became more confrontational and the pastor king became more invisible, his disciples dwindled. Blacks and whites alike jump-shipped by the busload. His criticism of the Vietnam War cost him access to the Oval Office, a perennial perk for the pastor before he turned prophet. His commitment to nonviolence was tired in the eyes of black people who had run out of patience with the process. The movement embraced the victims but rejected the prophet. It accepted its own guilt but not the radical changes necessary for its liberation. King's response, the prophet weeps for America's hardness of heart. Like other prophets, King's most characteristic emotion is not rage, but sorrow. By this time, he had inhabited more than 18 jail cells, came perilously close to death at the hands of a demented detractor, had his home bombed three times, and, quote, had to live every day of my life under the threat of death. And yet he weeps. Yes, he weeps for his would-be assassins. Maybe, just maybe, it's time that we also weep for our enemies. King's other response is equally relevant for us today. The prophet still believes. In spite of the defections, he still believes. In spite of the desertions, he still believes. In spite of his own depression, he still believes. In spite of the circumstances, and this one is what the, the one that hits home for me, he still believes. Though his faith in humanity wavered, it did not die. Though his faith in the holy was tested, it did not diminish. 
I believe with all my heart that Martin Luther King had seen the promised land. His eyes had seen its glory and there was simply no turning back. This vision of the disinherited took him from the call to the cross where he was crowned king of kings. To quote a Los Angeles Tribune reporter, quote, undoubtedly king is the king. This movement's leader, its crucified symbol, its blood and body of Christ. Get him on the phone. Nail him to a cross. Between the call and the cross lies enough inspiration to build the beloved community. If only we have eyes to see what the prophet saw and ears to hear what the prophet said. Indeed, the promised land is in our hands to the glory of life. <laughs>